Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we've got two great guests on this week's show. First, Jamal Wilberg. Jamal, what's going on, man? Brett, how's it going? Enjoying another, the Rays just keep going and finding ways to put some W's on the board. It's, it's a good time. Especially a really, really fun one today. Uh, that we're going to talk about very, very shortly. But yeah, they run, even though they're not winning 16 out of their last 17, uh, they're still finding ways to win and, and stay atop the division. Also on the show today is Danny Russell. Danny, how you doing? Oh, uh, I'm doing just wonderful. It, it's, it's, we're, it, it feels good that like this Ray's hot streak kind of came at the right time. We're heading into June. We're heading into the so-called dog days of summer and the losing streaks, which will happen at some point this summer, are going to be feel so long. So to have this 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 streak of success has been a ton of fun to watch. And the latest victory was today against the New York Yankees on the road to split the four game set in the Bronx. Uh, was Ryan Yarbrough throwing a complete game, the first one since 2016 for the Tampa Bay Rays? I'm assuming you guys probably know the answer to this, but the last pitcher to throw. A complete game for the Tampa Bay Rays was Matt Andrees. Matt, who is, I think, with the Angels now, maybe. We traded him. That, the that seems like the quality of the Angels bullpen, he, yeah. He, he bounced around. Um, but yeah, he threw. I remember that complete game pretty vividly. Ryan Yarbrough, um, I guess you could say infamously, was one out away uh, from a complete game a couple years ago in Seattle. Uh, in a one nothing ball game, and Kevin Cash yanked him. Ray, Rays ended up winning the game. Um, but to see that come full circle today, and I've said it on this show that, like, yeah, complete games are nice, but, I, you know, winning the game needs to be prioritized. It's still so awesome when you see an individual achievement like that. And, and I loved how Rays fans were kind of treating it like a no-hitter watch. It's like, oh, my God, a pitcher might actually go into the ninth inning. Let's Let's all tune in. Jamal, how, how cool was it to see, or how cool was it to hear about Yarbrough uh, kind of getting it done today? All we talked about in the offseason and since the World Series was Blake Snell getting pulled early. So, of <laughs> course, you're going to watch and see, does a pitcher even make it into the seventh, to make it into the eighth, and then into the ninth? And then, again, coming off Yarbrough from a few years back, getting a chance to get all the way through and get a complete game and a win against the Yankees to split, split the series. It's incredible. That's 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 the kind of just momentum that if you're going to keep going on the streak and try to build off of what you did last year and, and and have some more success this year, just to have everyone have that confidence that you're willing to go against the the process or the system or whatever people seem to think the Rays care about other than winning um, and, and go out there and just put the best performance together. I mean, it's also uh, pitch count watch for Blake Snell, who I, I don't know if he's making it out of the fifth right now for the Padres. Uh, this win for Yarbrough, it was credited as a win, which matters to pitchers. Uh, it might not matter to spreadsheet nerds, but the individuals uh, take pride in that accomplishment. The last time he started a game and got the win was that 2019 outing when he was pulled with one out remaining in the game. That's incredible. Like uh, that, that is a that is a weird stat. And you mentioned the fact that he started the game. His last two outings were against the Yankees this year. That were against the Yankees this year. Uh, he pitched really well, but neither of them were as a starter. And going into this game, fourth game of the series, I think the bullpen probably had enough to where they could have used an opener if they wanted to. Uh, facing Garrett Cole, 
I'm thinking like maybe Ryan Yarbrough doesn't need to be starting this game. His stats have been better. He's pitched better when uh, coming in behind an opener. And you look at the way the Yankees lineup is kind of built. I was nervous going into this game. Like I, one, had no confidence against Garrett Cole, which I guess I just need to get rid of because uh, the Rays do really, really well against him. He's now one in five. Again, going to the pitcher win-loss record uh, against the Rays in regular season outings. Um, but yeah, uh, did you guys think that Ryan Yarbrough probably should have thrown behind an opener today? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, Ryan Yarbrough picked a tough year to not be, uh, the level of quality that he has shown previously. And I mean, I think heading into this game, his last two outings were three runs each and, uh, all six of those earned runs were long balls. Right. So Yarbrough has not been himself in terms of weak contact. He has not been himself in terms of keeping runs off the board. And he clearly was pitching better this season when he was pitching behind an opener. He is capable of doing that role and he performed better in that role. It's objective. To see him get the start today felt like, oh no, are we mailing it in? I mean, you benched G-Man Choi too. So it already felt like we'd given up against Garrett Cole. I did not expect this uh, day to turn out the way that it has, um, but uh, the whoever's writing the narrative this year uh, amongst the baseball gods, having to trade off a Tyler Glasnow win for a Garrett Cole loss, I'll take that trade. <laughs> Do you guys think that, uh, like, in terms of confidence, we, we when Yarbrough got pulled, the story was that uh, Cash was going to lose the locker room. Uh, the same thing happened when Charlie Morton got pulled in the fifth inning against the Red Sox in that season. Uh, I, I kind of, you know, poo-poo those narratives. But on the other face of that, is an outing like today where Cash has the confidence in Yarbrough. I know they had a seven-run lead, so it was a very different game. Um, but lets him go all the way up to 113 pitches. Is that a confidence boost for a guy like Ryan Yarbrough? Yeah, there's no way that it can't be. I mean, this is – this again, everyone talks about Yarbrough needs to go after, after an opener and, and how he does as a starter to get a complete game and to win it in New York and, and have that trust. And, and I don't necessarily, until I hear a player say that Kevin Cash has lost the clubhouse or anything <laughs> like that. Right. What I continuously hear is that everyone understands that playing for the race, this is part of the deal. And everyone seems to at least demonstrate that they are, are open or at least accepting of it. If they're not, you know, gung ho about it. So it, it's good, but it's got to boost your confidence. How, how can it not? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Danny, I want to go back real quick to what you said about G-Man Troy. Uh, he wasn't just benched against uh, the Yankees today. He, he did was was dealing with a groin injury is what Kevin Cash said. Um, he, and it might with, be a real injury. Yeah, you're right about that. He, he's dealt with a lot of lower body injuries. And is, is G-Man, because if he's going to start, if he's going to play through pain or discomfort on any day, it's going to be against Garrett Cole, who he hits, you know, nobody hits Garrett Cole better than G-Man Troy in all of baseball. Is he perma broke? And it's just going to be up to like what he can play through, you know, data. Is he just going to be hurt for the rest of his career? Um, well, so this is this year, he's coming off of a knee injury and he was probably overcompensating a little bit and using his lower half a bit different when you're kind of playing through an injury. He was out for six weeks and then came back to the field as soon as possible. The day before he was activated off the injured list, he was re-injured and he was good enough to go. That was how uh, important his bat was to the Rays and how much they were looking forward to him. They just are taking an injured player on, right? That's common. And I think the sport is better when we, the audience, don't necessarily know when a player is playing hurt. 
Uh, I don't care if some dude actually blow out his elbow like two years ago and he's just playing through it. Uh, if he's a not a pitcher, obviously, <laughs> just for me, like a defender in that situation. Like it, it's exciting to have that player back on the field. I want to see his bat in the lineup and I want to see that contribution. And if G Man Choi is 85% on defense and 100% on offense, I'll take it. So it's it's a bummer that this might actually be a real injury, though. I, I think they're going to play it safe. I think during spring training when that knee, when they initially just said it was sore, he kind of worked through it for a couple of days and it was still bothering him. They shut him down. They brought him back. Then they went in and uh, did the arthroscopic surgery, cleaned some stuff up, uh, and he ended up missing six weeks. I think they are going to be cautious with, with G-Man there. You've got other players that can kind of fill the gap at first base, although in terms of left-handed hitting first baseman, there isn't one after G-Man. It was Yoshi Tsutsugo before they moved on from him. I don't think they need a left-handed first baseman on this roster right now, um, but it wouldn't surprise me to see G-Man go on the IL, even if it was a, a short 10-day minimum stint, uh, just something to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, the next uh, subject of discussion, J.P. Fireisen, who was acquired in the Willie Adamas trade. Um, Danny and Ian talked a lot about uh, J.P. on their Instant Reaction podcast. Darby and I talked a little bit more about him on on Raise Your Voice. But it seem, seemingly, he has been thrown right into the quote-unquote A bullpen or the stable, right? So they're without Nick Anderson for the time being, um, but you've got Pete Fairbanks and Diego Castillo and I guess... Andrew Kittreds right now. Uh, it looks like J.P. Fireisen is right in the mix. He's been given really nothing but high leverage situations uh, since he got with the team. It, like, do you guys think he's in the A bullpen to stay even maybe after Nick Anderson is healthy and back with the team? Nick Anderson complicates that question. Right now, he's a bullpen for sure. There's been two save opportunities in the last week, and J.P. got both of them. And it's pretty obvious that his changeup is something special. Uh, that what he's able to do with the elevated heat and then his change uh, and then also dropping in his breaking ball. Like this is a legitimate pitcher. This guy has it and he has it right now. So will Nick Anderson have it when he comes back? If he comes back by rehabbing his, uh, his ligament tear, like, oh, gosh, I can't even add Nick Anderson to this conversation. It doesn't make sense. Isn't that crazy to think about Jamal? Like we're like, not really like we're worried. Obviously we, we, we would like a healthy Nick Anderson in the bullpen, but that we're comfortable with like the, the, the state of the bullpen without Nick Anderson. Yeah, that's the the weird level of depth that this team seems to just find a way. And it's it's so cliche to say next man up as we go through these pieces, but there's been a different hero coming up and stepping in. JP Fireisen did not expect this to be what we were getting when I looked at who I thought we were getting from the Brewers in exchange for, for Willie Adamas, but it's, it's just worked. And so again, small sample size, but if this is the way that it plays out and, and, and he, this is who he is as a Ray, then this will be great. But yeah, right now he's definitely a bullpen. And as we go through, you know, stay healthy, knock on wood, uh, continue to, to give those, those high leverage situations. I wonder what the narrative would have been if he was kind of labeled the closer when he was acquired or if he came with that level of expectation. Um, I think leaning into the, the baseball savant and going into the pitch effects, I think you could have gotten to that conclusion on your own. Uh, or at least that he would be part of the A bullpen immediately alongside Castillo and Fairbanks. But I mean, 
you know, when Jesus Sanchez was traded, we were trading for a closer. Bar none. There was no question. Willie Adamas got traded and it's like for two relievers with like a question mark at the end. And you, uh, is one of those dudes getting stretched out? He's getting optioned. You don't really know what's going on with the trade. It's extremely clear that the Rays are viewing him as the closer right now, particularly when Diego Castillo has not been uh, as trustworthy as he was last season. Um, I, he did not appear in this four game Yankee season uh, series, excuse me. Uh, he got the win on Saturday. I think Castillo did for his contributions, but then he pitched back-to-back games, came out on Sunday and it was a mess, right? So Castillo's a question mark. Fairbanks is injured earlier this season. Like you needed a lights out closer. So Charles Rowe with a setback in his kind of rehab. We thought he was getting close. Ryan Thompson. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not ready to put him in the A bullpen still. I'm sorry, Ryan. Uh, You're great. Uh, as part of the B bullpen, but I'm, I'm not considering Ryan Thompson a closer at this point. Uh, the Rays just lost um, for the season, Cody Reed to thoracic outlet syndrome, uh, which is what Chris Archer is recovering from. There's very few pitchers, especially relievers who come back from that. Uh, Sounds like the surgery went well though. So it's good to hear. And that's great. He posted uh, a picture of his rib on, on Twitter, which was you can, you can unsettling that from what i understand <laughs> god here we go with biblical jokes early on in the podcast um <laughs> i lost my train of thought uh taylor walls just real quick the since we're talking about the willie adamas trade and taylor walls is a, a part of that as he comes up to uh become the Rays starting shortstop joey wendell's getting a bit more of a run there uh the bat has yeah, cooled down I and mean, he's a rookie and he was never really that heralded as a prospect for his bat but the glove, the defense has looked really good, really solid. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't tend to know the intangibles, but he seems very composed. His demeanor out on the field and in the dugout and with the team, he seems like a big leader. And he is an older guy. He's not, you know, a 20-year-old prospect that just got fast-tracked. He's an older guy that's been around. He played college ball at Florida State uh, and then, you know, stuck around the Rays minor league system for a couple years. But now that he's up, have you either either of you guys seen enough to where you're you could not confidently say it's still very early, uh, but you could see Taylor Walls as the as the franchise short, shortstop for at least the next couple of years, even after Wander Franco and Vidal Brujan come up. Yeah, that's the intent, right? Uh, you bring up Walls now to to get his feet wet and to entrench him so that it's not some kind of battle about who it's going to be. Uh, the whispers have been infield Kiermaier. We've said it on the podcast before, but the defense is legit. His patience is major league patience. His on-base percentage is doing great. He's performing well above average for a major leaguer, let alone a rookie. And I mean, well, you can expect a little bit more from the left side, but the dude, I mean, you called it confidence. He's just good. Yeah. You go back to the Madden five stages of like, he's beyond the, I'm just happy to be here. He belongs here. That's funny. Right before you hopped on the zoom call, Jamal and I were talking about that (laughs) right before you hopped on the five stages. I, He's a real deal, man. It, it it felt almost like he was an acquisition more than a call up. Just the way that he's performed, like this isn't what you see in someone's you know first entry to the big leagues as as the guy coming in after the the fan 
favorite gets traded out of town. It almost felt like he was part of the return piece in in the Adamas trade. Like there was a three team trade that the Durham Bulls were a part of. And and really again, it feels like he belongs contributing, and and everyone also seems to be rallying around him. So. You know, happy good start, and then see how it how it continues. But certainly, doesn't look like he plans on uh, relinquishing his spot now that he's there. I like I like that point you made of of being an acquisition because as we head toward as we're almost we're in the month of June now, as we head into July, the talk's going to be about all these teams that are in the pennant chase. Who are they acquiring via trade? And while those teams will call up prospects of their own, not many of them have the same system. None of them have the same system as the Tampa Bay Rays. And I'm not here to say that rookies are going to come up and, and carry this team to a World Series. But if you can add guys like Taylor Walls, Vidal, Brujan, Wander Franco, that's not, without even mentioning Josh Lowe, Kevin Padlow, Joe Ryan, Brent Honeywell, now Luis Patino, who is optioned, and we'll get to that in a second. But these are acquisitions, quote-unquote, that the Rays can make to their big league active roster that are going to make the team better. And they don't have to go out and you know, trade for, and I hope they do make a couple trades. They don't have to go out and force the issue and over overpay for guys in the trade market. Uh, the Rays are in a position to remove things from the roster to make rooms for those guys. Right. Uh, I mean, I would love it if a G-man injury led to Vidal Bruhan getting his taste, right? Or heck, even Josh Lowe, I mean, he's got a little bit of a, potentially a swing change. I don't know. He's hitting the ball in the air a lot more. Uh, I have not gone to the tape mostly because uh, I have a day job. I have not had the opportunity, but <laughs> in my brain, I'm thinking like, is this a launch angle thing? Like who do I need to call to make sure I get that? Are they still using the juiced ball in Durham? Like oh, we're definitely still using the juice ball in Durham. So that's a little bit of it too. Uh, but like low is, uh, excuse Yeah. I, I have to check myself every time. I'm like, is it low or is it low? Low is going to push himself into the conversation really soon. Um, it's a good problem to have, and it's a really fun transition year, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I was going to call you out for the transition year crap. It's still a transition year. No, Best I, record I, in major. For it. I mean, it depends the on how you define transition the year. The Rays are in the position they are right now, which is leading the American League, actually leading all of baseball uh, in the win-loss category, is mostly because it's a song and dance that Kevin Cash et al. have nailed. I mean, somehow let's, let's Brett, not give away too much of the second half of the show, but I like where you're going. Like it pulling up Brett Phillips is my favorite example of this because he's played in like six of the last nine games. Who has room for Brett Phillips on this roster? Kevin Cash does. He knows how to rotate all of his dudes and put them in positions to succeed in starts, not just off the bench and to keep everybody hot basically. So I, I think that's kind of the secret sauce, but um don't don't let me get off your agenda, man. <laughs> well, I'm going to take an ad break at some point. Uh, before we do that, though, Luis Patino, option to AAA Durham, comes off the IL. It was a finger laceration. Uh, he wasn't on the IL for too long. Gets activated and then optioned. What, what does that mean for, for his development? Or what do we think it means? Not that we know the answer. I think it means he gets some more time. I mean, we, we just talked about the the amount of depth and riches that this team has, why take Patino and rush him into a situation that you don't need him for when you fully expect to play meaningful baseball in September and into October, hopefully. And so you get the time, let him rest, let him get some, some reps in Durham and, and continue to make sure he's fully healthy and ready to return. You, you don't need to rush him back at this point. Luis Patino was at the major league level because of the opportunity to work with the coaching staff 
to work on the major league side and, and try to develop a little bit more. His slider has been a moving target all season, actually in the same way that Pete Fairbanks' breaking ball has kind of been a moving target all year. It's clear that some dudes are working on something still. And I think Kyle Snyder just wanted to work one-on-one with Patino, seeing that long view, having that long-term lens, like we should be working together. Patino was going out and pitching though when he was comfortable, when they felt like it. He was not pitching on a schedule. And so the Rays were heading toward a decision point anyway, where either Patino needed to get on a schedule or needed to commit to this bullpen role if he was going to stay at the major league level because they couldn't do both. The injury took care of the question for them, right? I mean, I can't imagine being a pitcher. Supposedly, Patino's grip on the baseball was just so hard that his skin burst open. That was the cut on his finger. It was just pressure that he was putting on the ball. His fingers could not take it, and they gave out. Wild. I don't know what you do with that. Gorilla glue? Not sure. He's back off the injured list. I think going to Durham means that they're viewing him as a starter instead of as a bullpen piece. And I think it's most likely that he goes down in order to get into a rotation, to get into a rhythm so that the Rays can figure out what they have. And also, he was somewhat up and stayed up out of necessity. You had uh, Colin McHugh and Michael Walker both spend time on the IL. Rich Hill got off to a real shaky start. That's the other bit of news, and we'll probably talk about that after the break um, because we haven't mentioned that at all. Um, but they they needed a guy that could play that role where, okay, maybe he starts, throws two innings, maybe throws two innings behind somebody, that kind of uh, pitcher that could just fill in in any role. But now that you've got McHugh and Waka healthy and Rich Hill pitching as a traditional starter as well as he is, not to say that Luis Patino isn't needed because he's, I think, still good enough to, to pitch at the big league level right now, but you can – like you guys were saying, get him in a more comfortable role that he can kind of get in that consistent rotation where he's pitching every fifth day. Maybe he's getting stretched out to five or six um, innings and outing. And I think overall for his development, that's good. And I think that's good that the the Rays are in a position right now uh, where not only McHugh and Walker are back, they're pitching pretty well. As long relievers. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then with and Rich Hill is the biggest reason. Uh, And So we're going to take a quick ad break and, and we'll talk about what Rich Hill has done uh, or has added to this pitching staff. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. Rich Hill, the 2021 May American League Pitcher of the Month, uh, and he's now the oldest Ray ever. I mean, I, I think the Rich Hill signing kind of caught a lot of us off guard. We're thinking, okay, maybe he's the veteran presence. Maybe he can be a multi-inning guy, but we really had no idea what he was capable of. I definitely didn't expect, and I don't think the Rays did either, for him to be the hottest pitcher in the American League. Now, Brad, I remember before the season started, you and I were talking about the first series in Miami, and the plan was, you know, Hill and Archer sort of split in the start and just sort of just saw it as this other piece that was somehow just going to help get some innings completed to get through the year and truly felt like this, I'll take Danny's word, transition year as you go through there. But then the guy just found a found his groove and, and a home in the in the month of May and just put together some some really good starts, putting together some really good innings. That's last thing out of and my memory's a bit foggy, but I think a couple of outings that went into the seventh. And everyone again, as we do race, as we go into the race innings counting, we're like, wait, one, there's a race pitcher still on the mound. Two, it's Rich Hill. And just trying to get it all together, I can't explain it. Certainly didn't see it coming, but it's been a huge you know, components of what they've been able to do and keep the bullpen rested uh, and healthy. 
well, outside of the injuries. I mean, part of the question for the rotation was you knew you had three arms. You had Glass now, you had Yarbrough, and you had Fleming. And that was a little bit worrisome too because Yarbrough and Fleming, not that different. So the question became, what is the rest of the rotation? And I think the strategy was, we'll just take a bunch of cheaper, oh man, that's, that's, that's a rude way to say it, inexpensive pieces, throw the spaghetti on the wall and see which pieces stick, right? So they threw it on the wall. Yarbrough uh, uh, is, is barely hanging on, but he's there, right? <laughs> Fleming has kept on. Shane McClanahan surprised us. He's a meatball you didn't expect to be sticking to the wall. But then Archer fell off the wall. Waka fell off the wall. McHugh fell off the wall. Kazro fell off the wall. Like all these pieces fell off. And the, the one little thing you didn't expect to stick to the wall is Rich Hill. And if this metaphor sucks, thanks for listening. Anyway. The Rays were completely prepared to make Rich Hill an opener. That was essentially the vision. That was the conversations they were having with the player himself. Hey, are you ready to begin that transition to an opener role? We've just got so many pitchers. Well, then everybody gets hurt all at once. And then literally the next time that he was supposed to become a full-time opener, Rich Hill has to go out and throw seven innings. And he just does it because he's a professional and he's quality and he's able to do it. How long this lasts is nonsense I, I i can't imagine it continues but if walk is only throwing like 25 pitches or something every outing then it has to i don't know something's going to give at some point whether it's health or ability or other pitchers rising up but i i don't know how long this lasts well god forbid knock on wood that rich hill his arm doesn't fall off but if it does tomorrow the production the Rays have got out of him, 57 innings so far this season, a 3-3-2 ERA, uh, that's, that's almost more than I was expecting. You know, it, it, we, we, we kind of, especially after those first couple outings, were like, is Rich Hill going to stick on this team? His first four outings, he had four earned runs in each of them. And these weren't super long out. One of them, he went six innings, but most of them he was going somewhere between two and four. Like, this, he wasn't being a traditional starter, and he was still getting hit around again, like Danny said, we have no idea how long this lasts, but we're going to enjoy it uh, while it's happening, while we get to watch it. And I think no matter what Rich Hill does for the rest of the season, what he did in the month of May when the Rays were the hottest team in baseball, uh, it deserves, you know, at the end of the year, if there's a championship, it deserves to have its own segment on the championship DVD um, because it was huge, especially with all the injuries and some of these young guys that they're still bringing up, Luis Patino, Shane McClanahan, who aren't giving you all those innings. Uh, to have a guy like Rich Hill, and Danny, you mentioned the five stages, uh, Joe Madden's five stages, and I was talking to Jamal about it before we started recording. Rich Hill is that fifth stage player. He's just here to win. And so when you're in a situation where you had just had to ask him, hey, Rich, we kind of need you to be a starter now. Not only did he fill that role, uh, he, he did it as, as good as he's ever done in his career. It's, it, it's inexplicable. Yeah, and starting April 26th, whatever, whatever he left behind in Kansas City, hope he never finds it again. But in his seven starts since then, only had one with fewer than five innings pitched. And you talked about all those runs he was giving up early. He's only given up five since. First four, four runs in each. Four, 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 four. Just count on it. And then never clicked or, or came together or maybe unclicked as you get older. Um, it's, it's working. So we'll see how long it lasts. But 
you know, good for him. Maybe some, maybe Tom Brady shared some tips on how to be successful in Tampa after 40. <laughs> if you look at a picture of Rich Hill and Tom Brady side by side, you would never guess that Rich Hill is younger than Tom Brady. <laughs> Dude, Rich Hill looks like death. <laughs> with, with full respect to Rich Hill that he's still going out there. It's amazing. If Rich Hill uh, is um, sidelined for any reason whatsoever. Give him a break. I don't care if he, if he, if, if he get a stuffy nose, give him 10-day IL stint or 15-day IL stint. He's, he's earned a stay in Stu's condo, whatever it is. <laughs> the rotation in Durham is not the names you expect because there's a lot of give and take with stretching dudes out and, and trying to line things up or people coming off of injury. Brendan McKay, uh, who I – am expecting to only pitch at this point going forward uh, is not pitching yet. Uh, Chris Mazza, who we saw up earlier is not in the rotation. He's more like in a relief role. If, if I know that correctly, uh, the race traded for a pitcher named Sean Poppin. I don't think he's capable of, of starting. Um, Joe Ryan is currently representing his country in the Olympic exactly. qualifiers. I say uh, Brent Honeywell jr is not starting. Uh, he is in a shorter role right now, at least for this season. Drew Rasmussen that they traded for uh, was in a relief role and he still needs to be stretched out. Patino needs to be stretched out for the same reason. The rotation in Durham is uh, Dietrich Enns, Chris Ellis, David Hess, Adrian De Drew Strotman. And Drew Strotman. That's where I was going with that. He Drew Strotman is on this six er, is on the 40 man roster. He has like a 2.5 ERA at this point uh, with five starts in Durham. And that's with the, with the fun ball, right? So he's doing fine. And I would guess he's the next man up at this point. I don't know if it's going to be like, if, if a starter goes down, I, I still think the Rays feel like they have the pieces, whether that's bringing up Brent Honeywell or Luis Patino to like piece together a fifth day. Because they also haven't really been going on like a five-day rotation. They haven't really set a rotation. They're just saying a couple days out, like, okay, you're pitching on Wednesday, and then you'll pitch on Thursday. Like, I don't know if Strotman – I don't know. I'd like to see him in the big leagues at some point maybe this year. But I don't know if, if any of our starters go down that he's going to magically just, like, hop into the rotation. Fair enough. Shall we move on to our, our raise, the vo- raise Your Voice segment? Sure. All right, so now we have reached a point in the season where the Rays are 36-22. and 22. Um, If this were the 2020 season, we'd only have two games left in the regular season, uh, which is pretty crazy to think about because we've still got uh, well over 100 or a little bit over 100 games left to play. But the Rays are in first place. And not only are they in first place in the American League East, they have the best record in the entire league. They have the best record in all of baseball. Now, a lot of baseball left to play, as uh, many people will be quick to remind you but so far the rays have almost matched their winning percentage from last year where they won two out of every three games now obviously that's not sustainable over 162 but it's still pretty darn good what they're doing right now uh the, my question for you guys and i'll kind of just open the floor up to, to discussion here and let you raise your voices is this Rays team better the team last year for me when as i think through this it's not fair to compare players that are still on the team that were on the team last year so yes you have you get a 
you get a full year's experience and it's much additional tell not a full year experience, but you get Randy Rosarena coming back and, and knowing he's a Ray and being part of the team. So I don't look at those folks. So I would say that there are the pitching. If I look at a starting rotation, not better than last year. I would, if you, if you would tell me you can have 2020 Blake Snell, 2020 Charlie Morton uh, versus adding even what we've seen from Rich Hill and, and the other pieces that we have on, on the team 2021, there's a better, uh, better pitching from 2020. Now the piece that is the most surprising and, and truly that I think is better in 2021 is the offense that we're seeing at catcher. I, that's that those are words that I don't know that I've ever used to describe the rays of seeing offense coming from catchers. Um, I've seen some offensive catchers, but a different meaning of the word, but <laughs> that's, 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 that's the, that's the piece that I think this, this is probably, you know, best ever uh, between what, what Mike Zanino is just figuring out how to just really get some, knock some balls out the park. Um, and, and what Mejia has brought to, to the team as well offensively certainly that i'll take that over over last year it's just a completely different team and that's so weird because there's so many factors to it but as as you just pointed out uh well g-man troy is not himself because he's injured austin meadows is not his 2020 self because he's being his 2019 self which is the one we wanted last year and did not arrive and offense is what was missing from that uh world series against the dodgers uh joey wendell has reached a new level that I don't understand. And similar to Rich Hill, Joey Wendell continuing to succeed is not something I would stake a season on when you have a hundred games left. Joey Wendell, who is all contact, no power, doesn't really have a position that he plays, but Kevin Cash is able to make it work. He has been the most valuable player on the team in the first 62 games. Uh, no question about it. All credit to Joey Wendell for succeeding despite my expectations, but my expectations are based on his profile, which I don't see as a long-term really good idea. <laughs> so, and he's, he's holding down the fort for the, for the positions that we want to bring people in for. We want Vidal Bruhan to come in. We want Wander Franco to come in. And if the, those dudes are there, where does Joey Wendell play? Oh, the best player on the team now needs to go to the bench. That doesn't make any sense either. The Rays are a going concern for me right now because I do not know if I can bet on Ryan Yarbrough continuing to perform based on the body of work this season versus this one magical day where he throws a complete game. Which one is the real Ryan Yarbrough? Is Ryan Yarbrough returning to form and becoming Road Yarbrough again? That was so fantastic. Or is Ryan Yarbrough maybe just having peaks and valleys and it's, it's more in the valley this season? Uh, is Josh Fleming a starter is a question we are still having to ask in his sophomore season. I don't like this rotation. It's Tyler Glass now and a bunch of question marks. Shane McClanahan didn't even make it four innings last time and then cursed out the pitching coach. <laughs> the 2021 Rays are a meme stock. I mean, they are Dogecoin. They, they're, they're, they're taking off. They're doing all these things that when you look at it, you're like, but Why? Like this doesn't, if this would be how you would build it, this wouldn't be necessarily smart investing, but it's growing and it's continuing. And everyone says, well, a crash is going to, well, a dip is going to come. We're just waiting to see it, but yet it's still continuing to go. That's, people might not like that analogy. This might be the day of analogies that might not fit, but that's just how I felt about this team this entire season. They just feel like as Dogecoin goes and as meme stock goes, I guess they're going with AMC now. This team just seems to follow suit. Last year's team 
because the 2020 season was so weird, which makes this discussion so interesting. And it's really hard to compare these two teams. One, because this season's not finished yet. We have no idea what the Rays will do. But last year's team, they didn't really get the chance because the season was so short to make moves in season. The team was pretty much set in stone. There were some minor acquisitions. Uh, the reliever from the Phillies, uh, the uh, Cody Reed, uh, Brett Phillips. Uh, and in terms of the regular season, all three of those players played very small roles. N- this year, we've seen in less time so many more moves. The Rays have been faster acting to cut Yoshi Tsutsugo. They traded their starting shortstop in the middle of a historic win streak. Uh, like they are more willing to make moves because it's back to a somewhat normal season. And I think that's kind of been to the benefit of this team. Um, they, they haven't felt that their roster is set in stone. The roster itself has felt a lot more flexible. And overall, I think they're both built for their own specific seasons. But I really like the bullpen this year. I, I know, um, Jamal, you mentioned the catching and the production we've got from the catchers more so than the Rays have ever gotten. Um, but the the depth of the bullpen, even with so many guys injured, we don't have Chaz Rowe, we don't have Nick Anderson, we don't have Oliver Drake, um, but the acquisitions of guys like Jeffrey Springs and Colin McHugh have been really, really important. Finding more guys that are capable of pitching multiple innings in multiple types of situations. We've both seen those guys get some low leverage situations as well as some high leverage ones. Uh, and, and the bulk, even though the bullpen was extremely flexible last year, it does feel like if tomorrow, knock on wood again, if Diego Castillo or Pete Fairbanks had an extended stay on the IL, that Andrew Kittredge could step in and get those late-ending opportunities. Um, I, 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 can he? I, yeah, no, I think he can. I think he can. I, I, a fully healthy Andrew Kittredge, maybe not over the course of a whole season, but he can fill in in that A bullpen for a month. Or so. I again. I'm not saying. I guess I will say this team is better. I like the makeup of the outfield, and I like that they could still trade guys like Kevin Kiermeyer or Joey Wendell and be just as good. I, I like the makeup of having a full season of Randy Rosarena. Um, seeing what Brett Phillips has been able to do offensively and defensively. This team leads the American League in defensive runs saved. They have played incredible defense, um, more so than some of their division counterparts that. Um, play shortstops like Glaber Torres and Xander Bogarts, uh, who are not the best defensively. The race traded, uh, in my opinion, a well above average defensive shortstop and brought up an elite defensive shortstop. I, I do think that the, the depth is more on display this year because of the length of the season and uh, still early, but I, I like this team a lot, or a, a lot, a lot. That's where I think that that's because you have last year's results as the baseline to go off of. If That's you're fair. not coming off a World Series appearance, I, I don't know that there's the same level of just confidence in what we have on on display here even with a run. I mean, this is this is the least, even though it's the Willie Adamas trade was was a bit different. And there's all this reaction to it because any other year without a World Series appearance before that, that would still be, even through a win streak, something that's still focused on in other pieces. But there's this confidence because you went to a World Series of the pandemic that I think people have that are just, you know, you can write off some of the other things that your eyes tell you. Maybe I should still be a little bit concerned about that, like the idea that Kittredge can come into the, the A bullpen there. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the bullpen has an identity right now. If you were to pull up the bullpen, it's Fire Rising, Castillo, Fairbanks, Kittredge, Thompson, Springs, 
McHugh and Waka. And if it stayed that way for the rest of the year, maybe Nick Anderson works his way back. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe Chazro doesn't either. If that was our bullpen for the rest of the season, cool. Yeah, I feel like the bullpen has an identity. The rest of the team, I don't have an extreme amount of confidence in. Either because the track record is not there or the track record is not there right now. Brandon Lau is hitting worse than Brett Phillips. Randy Rosarena is not going to become the, the greatest postseason performance of all time in a regular season, right? right. He, he had to come down a little bit off of that performance. G Manchoy, we discussed, hurt. Austin Meadows is back at least, but his defense is probably a negative at this point. Uh, Yanni Diaz is going to have to step in as the everyday first baseman right now, which uh, I don't have a high level of confidence in because uh, he, he doesn't have a natural platoon. We're not going to put Mejia at first base or something like that. Mejia is someone who is overachieving based on his track record, uh, as is Mike Zanino. Taylor Walls is a rookie. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer has a 66 weighted run creation plus this season. Uh, that number has seared into my brain. And then there's Joey Wendell. Uh, Mike Brasso is on the edge of getting optioned. Uh, Manuel Margot, he's great. Yes. No notes. Manuel Margot, keep doing your thing. He's getting like five games out of seven uh, in the Kevin Cash shuffling. Uh, he, I think he leads the team in outs above average, which is the baseball savant version of uh, defensive run save. I believe in Manuel Margot. Good job, guys. That one I'll take. Well, who'd be the next, if you guys get to play GM for the next few minutes? Who are you actively shopping on this team, if anybody? Either to create space or to just get rid of? So, so the infield. You have plenty to, to deal from because you have plenty to call up, right? You know Bruhan's coming. You know Franco's coming. There is room to play. And, uh, I mean, Wendell's the easiest one just because he's been red hot. And you could sell high on, on Joey Wendell. Maybe there's a team out there that just believes in Mike Brasso. And then you... They, they are saying we're going to try and acquire him when he's not performing as well, but I don't see a need to do that because he's got like three options remaining. So I don't think Brasso is getting traded. So Joey Wendell is the first piece. If I can get a sick return for Joey Wendell, I would do it tomorrow. What about Yanni Diaz? There's no way anyone else could value it, a player like Yanni Diaz in the way that the Rays do. I, I don't see it. Without, with the lack of power, I know he can be close to a 400 OBP guy, but... It, I think you're right. It probably would be Joey Wendell. Jamal, what say you? Yeah, Joey Wendell, or, or again, the middle infielders are are, are the ones where you, you've got the most the most depth and the most just assets to try to move. Don't know how other teams feel about Joey Wendell. I mean, maybe, and the only other thing that I could see getting returned on and selling high on right now would be Mike Zanino. But we like we like the offense that you like the. The offense that's there at catcher, but if you if you if you don't think that that is uh, the true Mike Zanino, and you think it's uh, an opportunity to get something out of there, then then maybe that's a piece that that you look at a, a Zanino and Wendell uh, package and and see what you can get back in return. What if someone calls you about Manuel Margot? Do you listen? Listen, I, the, the, I, I you do listen. The the Rays there there are very few players to me. If I'm the GM of the Rays that are on in the team photo that I don't listen to about. If you, if you call up and you want to talk about anyone, they're certainly willing 
something to listen, but it's going to take a, a lot more to, to get when to get, sorry, Margot off the team uh, than, than I think some of the other folks on the roster. Yeah. Margot would be an expensive piece, even though I think uh, an outside observer might look at Margot and say, that's the short side of a platoon in the same way that Yandy Diaz is a short side of a platoon, but that's not true with Margot. He has true defensive value and, like Brett Phillips is going to be valued way higher than, uh, than anything else. And also uh, Brett Phillips and Margot, you put them together and you have an elite center fielder. Uh, so perhaps the trade to be made is that other elite center fielder, but I think the Rays don't mind having three center fielders on the roster. So I don't really think the outfield is where you, you deal from, you know, in the off season, Jim Turvey uh, wrote up a whole thought experiment on trading Brandon Lau if you traded Brandon Loud this offseason, what's different about this team? Anything? It, you, maybe Wander Franco's up. <laughs> or, or maybe Bruhan's up earlier. Right. May, maybe you have like a veteran rookie get to kind of hang around, or a veteran rookie, excuse me, a veteran on the uh, minimum, you know, come in around and like hang out for a while and then you're just ready to call up Bruhan. Brandon Lau is an odd man out for me right now. Did, I you, don't did you miss the mark? Did the Rays miss the mark on, on like, Brandon Lau's going to rebound. He's not this poor of a hitter. But did they miss the mark on trading high on Brandon Lau at this point in his contract? I like, last off last off season. I mean, today, if you, ask, if you ask today's season so far, sure. But I think there's still more to see on what's happening. And just, can he just rebound from this, you know, my response to being the difference with if Brandon Lau wasn't on the roster would have been, you know, some extra base hits, but uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, just where, where the season ends up for him. Yeah. He's, he's, he's not this poor of a hitter. I, I mean, it feels weird to say that cause he's got like 10 home runs. So <laughs> I'm not trying to he, say he's like a bad hitter. Yeah. But he got overexposed in the playoffs, right? Yeah, and have we, did we see the, the best of Brandon Lau in 2020 in the regular season? Or is there still better, more to come? Obviously more to come, but it was his best season last year. I mean, his, I don't think so. His best season was probably when him and Meadows were hitting like 500 right. foot home runs in 2019. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, it's, uh, I, this team is still very flexible. There was going, there's going to have to be moves because we know there's guys coming back and we know there's guys coming up. So, uh, it should be, I think, I think the Rays might be more active than, than a lot of other teams in these next two months before the, the trade deadline. I don't know what you do with Brandon Lau. I'm, I just, no, you keep him, him. you keep him this year. You keep him unless someone still likes him, but now you'd be selling really, really low. And that's yeah. something I think the Rays would keep him for one old one more full season just so you could try to get his value back up. I don't think the Rays are going to give up on Brandon Lau. That's what it would be. If you trade him, be... he started to get hot again, but it fell back off. Yeah. It would take a lot. I think for Brandon Lau to get to the level to where the Rays could feel comfortable trading him. I mean, August of 2020, you're definitely right. I just pulled up his uh, rolling weight, uh, weight to runs creation. Uh, it's like 230. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, was, he, was uns- he was insane. In August of, of 2020. So he, he, he needs to keep it. hitting in um, Blue Jays minor league parks because he killed it when we went to Buffalo last year. Yeah. He killed it in Dunedin. Um, so I don't know where their double-A team plays. Uh, Toledo, maybe? I don't know. Uh, but that's where he needs to be hitting. But he also wasn't chasing a lot of outside pitches last year. And, and it's been a while since I've looked at, at what he's done over the past few, few, few games, you know, day job thing. But uh, he started off this year chasing a lot outside that he wasn't doing before. And so he's 
his whatever his approach at the plate is this year, it's just different. And so I know that this isn't the hitter that that Brandon Lau is, but if this is his new approach, then it kind of is. Um, and if if he can't get back to those things that he was doing in 2020 and really just taking the good pieces and and knowing to make sure he hits them. Well, that's just it, right? It, the take the good pieces and see what you can compile out of it. It's my spaghetti theory on the rotation. You take a whole bunch of players who have quality aspects to them. And you do that enough that those quality aspects add up to a reasonable roster, even if all of the isolated pieces aren't like edges of the puzzle. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like every one of these players is a middle piece and it's not the, the comfortable edge of the puzzle that gives you that security and that feeling. Like Glass now is a corner. The Nino's a corner on the puzzle. I'm here for metaphors today. You had the meme stock. I've got the puzzle theory. All right. So are are the 2021 Rays the most effectively consistent inconsistent team there is meaning that it, it, nothing's fully clicking as you would expect but each piece just clicks enough when it needs to and, and something comes together that's the beauty of baseball think about this Yankees series right uh, here's what I want to raise my voice about the Yankees series gave me life the Yankees series reminded me why I love baseball and why uh, it is the magic of Rays baseball that propels the organization forward, right? Because Araldus Chapman comes up and the Rays put two men on. <laughs> this is the most terrifying reliever in all of baseball, bar none. And the Rays immediately get two men on base. And I believe, I'm like, heck, where's Mike Brasso right now? Put him in. Where's Travis Darnell? <laughs> like, just, just. Bring up Mike Bross. I don't care that Randy or Rosary is supposed to hit right now. Give me Bross because we had that magic in the postseason. Anything is possible. And then Garrett Cole comes up and Lizzie. He's pitching the best in his career, like the best start in his career. Like he's unreal. And the magic of baseball comes right back for you. I mean, if, if, that, if that doesn't get your fire going, your wood's wet. This was a fantastic series. I know the race split the series but it was great the whole way through. And I believed in every one of those games that the Rays could win it. And so despite my pessimism about all the individual pieces, they all come together to something that's formidable enough to put the Yankees in their place. I'll say it again. I think it's the defense. I think this team is so defensively sound and it's been a concerted effort. You bring up Taylor Walls. You keep all three center fielders when it seemed like there needed to be a decision made. Like, there was a concerted effort to play better defense than the rest of the American League, and it's paying off yet again. You look at the Yankees, you're playing Clint Frazier in the outfield, that are playing Gleyber Torres, and then they moved Gio Urshela, who played very well at shortstop. But you look at Gary Sanchez, still at, you know, their, their everyday catcher. They're having to give, uh, you know, Giancarlo Stanton's just a DH now. There are the, no, no other teams making investments in their defense like the Rays, the Rays are. And so when you go through those cold streaks offensively, you need to have the other aspects of your game step up. The Rays pitching is always going to be there, and the Rays defense is always going to be there. And that's kind of been the blueprint uh, really since Sternberg brought the team. But uh, I think even more so these, these last two seasons. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think it's even like like Danny said, it's this this year just feels like there are games that the team has no business being in and games that the team has no business winning, that there just come these quirky ways that, that the team finds a way to win. And so you go into it 
you know, the other night you're, you're trailing. And I was like, you know, this just feels like something weird's going to happen in the eighth inning and this team's going to come out to win. They didn't, but you just, you go into it. There's not that automatic feeling of, of loss and defeat. And if, if this can continue through for the remainder of the year, it'll continue to be exciting. And the umpires were on the race side today. So that, that's always nice for a change. Yeah, if you're going to be great, you got to have some luck. You got to have, you got to catch some breaks, right? Not afraid to say it. <laughs> right, well, listen to the upcoming schedule real quick. So uh, going to Texas, the Texas series should be Fleming Hill and Glass now in, in the house where they played the World Series, right? So there's some magic there. They come home for two games against the Nationals, who are not good this year, uh, three games against the Orioles, who are not good this year. They go to Chicago for uh, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in Chicago, which feels different to me than a weekend series. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but somehow I feel like it's boring going to the South for for weekdays. I feel like that's manageable. Uh, And then they go to Seattle for four games. And then it's home for Boston, home for the angels at the nationals at Toronto, wherever the heck they're playing. And then Cleveland, Toronto, all-star break. This doesn't seem as rough of a stretch in the second half of the first half. So the second quarter, it's nowhere near as formidable as a start to the season as it was when it was uh, Miami, Boston, New York, Texas, New York, Kansas City, who are decent. Uh, Toronto, Oakland, Houston, Angels, Oakland again, Yankees, Mets. Like, this year sucked. This this run and this schedule that's coming up, it feels like it could uh, lead to disappointment. Like, if they're they're going to lose one of those, like, they'll probably lose against Baltimore. They'll lose two out of three, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's going to feel like it's going to feel like the uh, the, the uh, sky is falling. But you build up that lead in the division. You build up all of those wins uh, during that hot streak where it's like if you drop a series like that, all right, move on to the next one. Move on to Chicago. Uh, but there is an opportunity here for the Rays to continue to build on their lead in the American League East, which is two games above the Red Sox right now. Four and a half games above the Yankees, five or six and a half above the Blue Jays. This, it, like, this, if you want, like, if you want to solidify yourself as the best team in the American League East and back-to-back champions, like, this is a run where you could like really make it tough on these teams to catch up as we head into the middle of summer. But they'll probably disappoint us. Well, well, yeah. To me, it would be a disappointment if this team's not at least three games uh, in the division lead by the time he gets to the All Star break. Just given what they have up ahead, the off days that are available, and just how they've been performing, you have to at least expect to go into the break uh, still leading the division. You guys got anything else? Any more thoughts on the on this team and the state of the Rays currently? I liked it. that was a good uh, post Memorial Day state of the of the ball club. Um, it's healthy to do these every couple of months. The Rays only had 7,000 fans in attendance. It is a pro. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, but actually, I, I do think that is the one other piece that will be interesting. So as we head into the home games for the month of June, the Rays attendance policy changes. So the lower bowl will be open without any social distancing. So you'll have a larger capacity. 200 level will still have the pods and the distancing and the 300 will be closed. So we'll see what that does for, you know, a, a dome field advantage and having some some more folks in in the trop in theory in theory we'll see i'm trying to get down to at least one game in the next homestand uh, we'll see um but yeah should should be interesting to follow especially with all the uh, stadium news which we'll save for maybe another podcast maybe not i don't know i like talking about baseball um 
So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you to Jamal Wilberg and Danny Russell for hopping on. Thank you guys for listening. As always, make sure to head on over to DRaceBay.com to check out all of the great Rays coverage. I'll talk to you guys next week.